I think the Christian life is a long process of having our desires trained so that we want what God wants. Hey friends, welcome to the Hope and Help Project, the podcast that cultivates compassionate biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. I'm your host, Christine Chappell, and I'm so glad you're here to join in on today's conversation with author and writer Megan Hill. Today we'll be discussing Megan's book, Contentment, Seeing God's Goodness, to learn the value of cultivating thankfulness in specific life circumstances and to discover practical approaches for uprooting discontent lodged within our hearts. If this is your first time listening to the show, be sure to learn more about the Hope and Help Project by visiting faithfulsparrow.com forward slash project. The link is posted in the show description, and by visiting that page, you can learn all about the mission of the podcast. Before we get started, let me say a little more about our guest. Megan Hill is the author of Praying Together, an editor for the Gospel Coalition, and a regular contributor at Today in the Word. Hey there, Megan. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Christine. Your newest book is a 31-day devotional on the topic of contentment, helping readers to examine the heart behind the temptation to constantly be discontent with life. Can you share a little bit about your personal experiences with discontentment and perhaps give us some background as to why you wanted to write a devotional on the topic? Yeah, I mean, I have experiences with discontent that I think... Uh, most people have. I find daily I wake up and I don't like the weather and the traffic is too slow when I'm going somewhere and the lines at the grocery store are too long and that new thing that I bought online that I thought was going to solve all of my problems somehow doesn't fit or it's not the right color. So, you know, all of those sort of daily experiences with discontent that I dare say most of us have are pretty common in my life to my shame. I would say also that I've had some bigger experiences with discontent and my husband and I uh, had a miscarriage with our first child and we desperately wanted to have a child and I got pregnant and then we lost the baby you know, before I was married, I spent a few years single wondering, was the Lord going to send me a spouse? All my friends had gotten married and I didn't know. And so some of those bigger life questions that sometimes give rise to discontent have been part of my story as well. One thing that was instrumental in writing this book and that had been very helpful to me is when I was a college student, someone introduced me to Jeremiah Burroughs, who is a Puritan, um, his writing, and he wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment which is kind of a Christian classic. And I read that book and it really changed my perspective on my circumstances and how to view my circumstances and um, really helped me to really seek to submit my desires uh, and to submit my circumstances to the Lord and everything from the weather and the traffic to a journey with infertility to the Lord's kindness and to see him as good and kind, even in circumstances that seem unfulfilling or dissatisfying in some way. You open the book with an approach that really seems to take the pulse of our discontentedness. You write, in what seems like an upside-down logic, the scriptures make it clear that a better life consists not in chasing something new, but in being contented with the way things are. 
Now, of course, this is the complete opposite of every single marketing message we are bombarded with on a daily basis. So can you help us to understand a biblical view of contentment and how it contrasts with what we experience in the world and the natural bend within our hearts? I think, you know, we we are people who have desires, right? And I think we'll probably talk about this a little bit more as we go along in our conversation, but that that is a fundamental part of who we are, that we want things and we have desires and that's not a bad thing. And the Lord has graciously made us people with desires, um, but we are also people who are finite and we are not God. And we live in a world where God is in control and God gives us our circumstances. And as we belong to Christ, we know you know, in a Romans 8 kind of way that the circumstances are given to us for our good and for his glory. And so contentment comes, I think, with reconciling those things. I want these things, the but these are the things that God has given me. And it comes at the point where we then learn to trust God, that the things that he's given us are the things that are, in fact, good and are the things that he's using to accomplish good things in our lives. I think in the world around us would have us look uh, to our circumstances sort of solely to focus on the circumstances and doesn't really have a place for what God might be doing in and through and behind and around those circumstances. Yeah, that that really makes a lot of sense. One of my favorite Tim Keller quotes reads, worry is not believing God will get it right and bitterness is believing God got it wrong. Essentially, what he's saying is that when we're anxious or bitter, it's because we think we can run things better than God, that he cannot be trusted to manage our lives. And you echo a similar sentiment when you write, in our own hearts, pride causes us to shake our fist at providence, thinking that we are better and no better than God. Can you expand on the role that pride plays in our discontentment? How does looking to the humility of Christ help us as we learn to become content in all circumstances? Yeah, I think that Tim Keller quote is spot on that, you know, when we put ourselves in the place of God and we say, I know what's best for me, that's an act of pride. But when we are humbled and we say, you know what? God made me and he's redeemed me by his son. He's the one who knows what's best for me. Then then we can submit, um, not, not even in sort of a bristling kind of, well, I guess, you know, oh, well, this is what's going to happen. And, you know, sort of Eeyore-ish or something. Um, but we can submit joyfully knowing, hey, I don't know everything that's good for me, but God knows what's good for me. And that's exactly what he's promised to give me. Now, I think you're right to tie that then to Christ. Christ is our certainly our example of that. I mean, we think of his prayer in Gethsemane, right? Not my will, but yours. You know, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not what I will, but you will. Christ has come to the place of his ultimate sacrifice of his crucifixion, and he's praying and even in that very prayer, um, he's praying with humility, as it were, submitting himself to the to the will of God that he would give up, you know, that he would experience these hard circumstances um, for the good of his kingdom, for the good of his people and submitting in that. I think we can be encouraged as well. You know, I think Christ is our example 
But I think one of the most encouraging things then is that same Christ is at work in us. And so it's not merely that we hold up Christ and as sort of, you know, well, just be like Christ, you know, strap on Mm -hmm. your humility and get on with it. But we who belong to Christ have the confidence that Christ is at work in us by his spirit. And so the same spirit that enabled Christ to submit even to the cross is the spirit that lives in us and enables us to joyfully submit to the Father's will, whatever that might be. Well, some Christians might really struggle with discontentment because they have faced extreme hardships in life. Even now, they may be experiencing a season where their spiritual strength seems small and their faith is being tested to even talk about pursuing contentment when they are simply just trying to make it through the day without having a meltdown seems more like a Christian luxury than a Christian necessity. So how does God's promised grace and power play into this spiritual fruit of contentment? And what hope is there that true contentment is something we really can cultivate this side of heaven? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think it's interesting, sort of the verse that you know, we all memorized in Sunday school about contentment, you know, Paul's writing saying, I have learned in whatever circumstance I am to be content. And so here we have the great apostle Paul, right? The writer of the majority of the New Testament and the one who planted the first missionary and who planted all these churches and then the instrument the Lord used to bring the New Testament scriptures to us. And what does he say? Well, he says, I have learned to be content. And so I think you're exactly right, Christine, that contentment is a learned thing and that the Lord uses circumstances in our lives. He uses the work of the Spirit in our hearts. He uses the example of God's people all around us and the support and encouragement. He uses their prayers and our prayers to work contentment in us. And it is something that we learn and that we learn over maybe a long, long period of time. I remember in my early Christian walk hearing a sermon uh, taught by my local church pastor, and he just pointed out, you know, the the time period from when Paul wrote those words to uh, between the time Paul first met Christ on the road to Damascus was something like over 20 years. And so here Paul is 20 years removed from seeing Christ face to face. And he's just now saying, hey, look, I'm, I've learned this. It's taken 20 years, perhaps, mm-hmm. but I've learned it. And it's just given so much encouragement to me because, you know, the contentment that we have in Christ, it, like we've been talking about, it, it may not come as a reflex or, or even naturally because spiritual things don't necessarily necessarily come naturally to us the moment that we have the Holy Spirit. A lot of these things have to be learned, and they're learned by walking with Christ and learning how to trust Him. And that in that we trust God, then we are more enabled to say and look at our circumstances um, and say, yeah, I don't understand what's going on right here, but God is good. And somehow I don't need to know what the plan is ahead. I know that God is caring for me, that he's with me, that he's, you know, ordained this thing to happen and I can trust him for what's next. But if we haven't really practically learned and experientially learned that we can trust God in our actual daily circumstances, then I feel like the learning contentment is also um, is going to be inhibited. So we need that time. We need that time to pass in order to really be able to grasp that we can trust God and therefore become of that, we can be content in circumstances that may really disappoint us or even sadden us. You really helped me to see the seriousness of discontent on day eight of the devotional when you connected the dots between people who do not honor God or give thanks to him 
and futile, unrighteous thinking. You write that a discontented heart denies the graciousness of God, acting as if it had not received anything from God's hand. And then you encourage us to take a long, hard look at how dependent we really are on God for everything we need in life. It makes sense that when we are living lives of discontent, we are actually abounding in futile thoughts and beliefs, and that this futility can manifest itself in a variety of really harmful ways. So why do you think it is so easy for us to buy into the lie of self-sufficiency? And what are some of the practical ways we can practice being aware of our constant need of God's provision? I think, you know, certainly we buy into self-sufficiency because we're not practicing looking at the world with spiritual eyes. I think we see what's right in front of us. And those are the things that then consume our thoughts. And so, you know, as Jesus said, uh, the pagans say, what shall we eat and what shall we drink and what shall we wear? And those are the things that consume their thoughts, right? And that Mm -hmm. drives them to anxiety or discontent, but it can also drive us to sort of a sense of I'm the, you know, the master of my own circumstances because what I eat and what I drink and what I wear, that's right in front of me. That's part of the material world. And it's not immediately obvious that God's hand is present in that. But of course we know that God's hand is present in that. You know, I think very practically, one thing is the fact that we give thanks before meals, right? That's sort of a habit that most of us have. It's a practice that we've maybe learned from childhood. Maybe we came to when we came to Christ. But it's something that I dare say for most of us can at times become sort of a root little thing. Thank you, Lord, for this meal and bless our day in Jesus' name. Amen. And we don't really take the time in that 15 seconds to recognize that this is actually acknowledging my complete dependence on God for this food that I'm putting in my mouth. And this is giving him thanks for it. Well, something as simple as that, you know, how many times a day do you eat, you know, three times plus snacks or whatever, you know, (laughs) and cultivating that discipline of, I am going to acknowledge my dependence for this food that sustains my body. And I'm going to give thanks for it. You know, that's what five times a day, then that you have disciplined yourself to recognize your dependence on the Lord. I think also just, you know, sort of practically just being aware of when you're complaining, complaining is the opposite of contentment. And so when you're going, oh, it's raining again, you know, or, oh, it's going to be 95 today again, you know, to train yourself to notice those complaints and instead to recognize, no, I'm dependent on the Lord for the weather. I cannot do anything about this weather. This is the weather God has said is good for me. And it's what he's given me for my day. And so I'm going to express to him, Lord, this is the weather you have given. You're in charge. Thank you for this weather. I don't know what you're doing with this weather, but but thank you for it. (laughs) Um, And training ourselves in that. There's, There's one older writer who I forget who it is now, but who says something about the weather and complaining about the weather. And that's always stuck with me because I think that's something that that is so common for us to do. And yet we're dependent on the Lord for the weather. And if he gave it, it must be a good thing. I have to be honest with you. I was reading your book and I chuckled when I read the popular slogan you had quoted. It goes something like this. Perhaps our listeners are familiar. She believed she could. So she did. 
And that was written in one of your devotions. And this has become a money-making rallying cry for women all over the country, even little girls. I just can't help myself but to invite you to unpack this saying for us. Is it just a harmless, inspirational mindset, or is there something more to it? How can we temper our ambition and determination in such a way as to not plummet ourselves into discontent when things don't work out the way we hoped? Yeah, I think you're I think you're right. I mean, I think probably most eight-year-olds who are wearing it on a t-shirt don't really think a thing about it and probably neither have their moms who bought them the t-shirt. It's probably just sort of a girls can do anything kind of mentality. And I, you know, so I think probably most on the level of most people's thinking, it's just sort of harmless or common. Um, but I do think that that there's you know, a real problem behind it that, again, it seems to affirm that, you know, whatever we want, whatever we set our hearts on, that we are able to accomplish that. And, you know, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches at all. So I think, though, that we do come across circumstances in life where we do desire something, we work hard for it, we have some kind of goal in our life, whether that's relationally, whether that's where we want to live, the kind of work we want to do, a specific project we want to accomplish. And sometimes those things don't happen and we work toward them and they don't happen. And then that does, you're right, puts us in this place where we're disappointed or we're discontent with it. Um, You know, I think it's important to affirm that the Bible does teach us that we are people with desires and the desire is not wrong. Um, To want things and to work towards them is not a wrong thing. And um, contentment does not mean we have to give up all desires. It means that we shape our desires in the right way. And so I think the Christian life is a long process of having our desires trained so that we want what God wants. So that means that we come to our desires, the things that we want, the things that we work toward, and we ask ourselves, is this something that God wants? Now, we don't always know particularly, but we do know some things. If this is a sinful thing, you know, if my great desire is to leave my husband and marry this other man, well, that's a sinful desire. And so the Lord is not going to be pleased to honor that. And that's not a desire that I should have. And when it doesn't happen, I have no business being discontent because that's a sinful thing. Now that's a pretty drastic example, but we have hundreds of things that we want Mm -hmm. that are sinful. And so those desires need to be trained, need to be nixed um, by God's word. But there are other things that we want that are not necessarily obviously sinful. They're not, you know, there's sin mixed in everything we do, but they're good and right desires to succeed at our work or uh, to parent our children well or to have a relationship, to have deep friendships or uh, relationships with people. Those are all good desires and we work towards them because we believe that they're good things that the God has given to his people. And yet sometimes they don't work out. And that is disappointing. Um, We can bring that to the Lord. We can bring our discontent to the Lord. We can lament to him and cry out to him and tell him of our disappointment. I think another thing that we can do is we can remember that there are certain things that the Lord has promised that he will do that he will always do. 
And so things like making us more like Christ, that is something that for those who belong to Christ, he is going to do, and we have promised that he will do. And so we can find satisfaction even in a disappointed desire when we recognize but my desire to be more like Christ is actually being fulfilled here. I didn't get this job because in some way God is using it to make me more like Christ. And so I can be satisfied even though I didn't get the job because I am, I know that he's making me more like Christ. Um, he's going to bring us to heaven with him. And so I can be satisfied even when this relationship didn't work out that I badly wanted, because I know that day by day, he's bringing me to be with him in his presence where I'll have fullness of joy forever. And I can be satisfied in that, even though this other thing didn't work out. I know that he is bringing his kingdom and he is gathering his people and he is exalting Christ. And so even when this move that I wanted to make to this other part of the country that I thought would be great doesn't work out, I can still be satisfied that God is working in this world and gathering his people and building his church and bringing his kingdom. And these things are happening. So sometimes it's a matter of saying, okay, this thing didn't work out, but I have plenty of reasons to be satisfied um, in these bigger things that God is also doing in the world. Well, is it possible that our discontentedness really reveals our hearts of worship? Is there an element of idolatry going on? Or can our discontent point us to a potential idol of the heart when things are not going the way that we had hoped? Yeah, I think we can have wrong desires, as we said, you know, things that are for themselves sinful, that we can also have what some writers have called inordinate desires, which means desires that are all out of proportion, desires that become, as you said, an idol. And so for me as a single person to want to be married, well, that's not in and of itself a sinful desire, but if I can't think of anything else, if I'm not useful in my church, if I'm not caring for my neighbor, if I'm not working for God's glory, if I'm not able to do those things well, because I'm so focused on this thing that I haven't had, then that's what they call, what the older writers called an inordinate desire, inordinate, meaning out of proportion, too much, becoming an idol, like you said. Mm -hmm. And I think that is another thing we need to look for in our desires. Are they all out of proportion with what God has promised, with what he says in his word, with what's good for us and good for his glory and good for our usefulness in his kingdom. So what then, if we do recognize that perhaps our discontentedness is linked to an idol we have set up in our hearts, what's the remedy for dealing with that? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think there would be uh, repentance um, for, to the Lord and asking the Lord for the help of his Holy Spirit to put that desire back in its rightful place. I think, you know, things like the Lord's Prayer, I think, can be very helpful to us. What is the Lord's Prayer? Well, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, teach us what we should want. Teach us what we should desire. Teach us to pray. And Jesus says, okay. I'll, I'll teach you what you should want. These are the things you should want. You should want God's name to be hallowed. You should want his kingdom to come. You should want his will to be done. You should want your daily bread, the things that you need. You should want forgiveness of sins and the ability to forgive others. The, you know, these are the things that you should be desiring. And I think we can use scriptures like the Lord's Prayer to train our desires in the right ways and in good ways and in ways that prioritize the things that God prioritizes. Can you help us understand 
you've mentioned it, I think, in, earlier in the conversation, but there are righteous desires and unrighteous desires. So in the same vein, there are differences between unrighteous discontent and actually righteous discontent. And I never really thought of it that way, that there could even be a thing as righteous discontent until I read your devotional. So help us unpack what do, what's the contrast there that we need to be aware of? Sure. So unrighteous discontent is saying to God, as we've said earlier, sort of, you did this wrong. This is not the right thing. You haven't given me the right circumstances. I want what I want. That That's unrighteous discontent. Mm-hmm. Righteous discontent, I think we see, I mean, we see it throughout the Psalms, for example, you know, the psalmist crying out, you know, how long and I desire you and I I would rather spend a day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere and why are the wicked prospering and, you know, the psalmist is all the time crying out to the Lord for these things that are righteous desires that are sort of not yet fulfilled. And Mm -hmm. I think that's our unrighteous desire is not fundamentally distrusting God, but it's sort of crying out to him to do the things he has promised to do. And it's crying out to him in that waiting period. So he's promised to make us like Christ, but my sins, Lord, I'm so discontent because my, I keep, I keep sinning, Lord. And this, I'm not happy with my sin. I'm not content with my sin. I want to be more like Christ. And so there's a discontent there, right? Look all around me and all of these people are walking in darkness and they don't see Christ and they don't know Christ and my neighbors and I keep witnessing to them and they keep having these hard hearts and I'm discontent because I want them to come and know and glorify Christ. Well, that's a good desire and that's, that's a right discontent. And I can bring that to the Lord. So we cry out to the Lord for the things that he wants when we don't see them being done because we have confidence that that is according to his will to do them. Now that that makes a lot of sense. Well, I want to invite you to do something that I ask every guest on the show to participate in, which is to speak directly to the audience. There may be someone listening to this episode who is struggling to find contentment in their present circumstances. Maybe they know they should be more thankful and, as the saying goes, count their blessings, but they're having a really difficult time setting aside the hurt and pain and disappointment they have had to grapple with recently. To them, contentment seems like a mirage or a cruel carrot being dangled out in front of them on a stick. What would you say to this person to give them the courage they need to trust God's goodness and sovereignty as they pray for the strength to cultivate thankfulness? Yes, I have no doubt um, that there are many of us who, probably all of us, who are struggling with discontent in our lives in various ways. And I think that's a good place to start to recognize that this is a sin, a problem, a struggle that's common to most people. And in fact, that it was a sin that Satan used to tempt Christ himself, you know, when Christ was in the wilderness and he was being tempted, you know, he hadn't eaten for 40 days. He was out there in the wilderness. And what did Satan do? Well, he came to him and said, you know, you could just change your circumstances. If you could just change your circumstances, that's the thing that would make you happy. And Christ resisted that temptation to change his circumstances by turning stones into bread and to change his circumstances by throwing himself off the 
cliff and showing the angels to be at his charge. And, you know, the, the Satan resisted that temptation. And I think the thing for us to take comfort in, in those moments when, whether it's a huge life discontent or whether it's the, the small traffic and messed up schedules of everyday life is that Christ himself is at work in us and that the same Christ who resisted Satan's temptation to discontent is working by his spirit in us and that he wants to bring us to contentment in him and he wants to fully satisfy all of our desires in him and that that for the child of God is what he is doing in our hearts and we can take confidence in that that when contentment to us seems so elusive that it is actually something that Christ is actively working to do in us and we can cry out to him for that we can look for him to do that we can know that it's a thing that he's promised to do in us as part of his making us more like himself. Well, Megan, thank you so much for those encouraging words. I want to let the audience know that if you are interested in learning more about Megan's new devotional on contentment, I will have the information and a link to the book in the show notes to this podcast. You can scroll down into the info section and click on the link and you will be directed to learn more about Megan and her writing ministry and some links to helpful articles. So we'll have that information available to you. Megan, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to chat with us about this topic and just helping us to have a more biblical view of contentment, uh, especially as it relates to the disappointments and challenges that we face in life. Thanks so much for having me, Christine. It's been great. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit faithfulsparrow.com forward slash project. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode, complete with links to Megan's books and other helpful resources. If you enjoyed today's conversation, I would be so thankful if you left a review for the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Be sure to subscribe to be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help Project a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. One more thing, if you're looking for gospel hope and help for life's challenging problems, visit faithfulsparrow.com forward slash email. I send my email subscribers weekly biblical counseling resources on rotating topics. From videos, audios, articles, and recommended reading, these emails are designed to equip you to discover gospel hope and help in your own life. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help Project.